Welcome to the Wholehearted Eating Podcast, where non-diet nutrition, weight-inclusive care, and integrative health collide. We're your hosts, Dana Montes and Christina Hoyt, licensed integrative clinical nutritionists and body image coaches. And we believe you deserve to have a joyful relationship with food in your body, even if you have a chronic health condition or symptoms that just won't quit. On this show, together and with our guests, we're bringing the real talk, no BS5, with tangible tools to help you pursue health and wellness without obsession or restriction. Remember our disclaimer, this podcast is meant for general information purposes only and should not be taken as a substitute for medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Hey there, friends, and welcome back to the Wholehearted Eating Podcast. After Christina and I have taken our podcasting summer break, we are really excited to be back with a lot of jam-packed and awesome episodes that we know you all are going to love. So I wanted to jump right in today because Christina and I know that the back to school and fall season can bring up the desire to want to kind of, you know, quote, get back on track with a really rigid routine and a lot of perfectionism and stress accompany that. So this fall, we're going to be focusing on bringing you episodes on the different pillars of health and how we can approach them with a wholehearted eating add in mentality rather than the typical and probably what you're hearing about a lot right now, the like all or nothing or eliminate all the things mentality. So this week with our guest, we're going to be talking about stress, burnout, and the nervous system, which you all know I love to nerd out about. And this is really something that everybody struggles with. And so then on next week's episode, Christina will be coming back and we're going to be discussing the internal struggle of wanting to bring more intention around health promoting behaviors going into the fall or a new season, which is very understandable but without being a perfectionist about it, along with some practical action steps. We're also going to be doing some episodes coming up soon on non-diet back-to-school nutrition for kids and how to lean back into exercise without perfectionism or shoulding. So in the meantime, if you wanted to dive into some of those topics, we recommend listening to our comeback episode from last fall, which is how to get back on track without dieting or restriction. Also, please send us any specific questions or topics you'd like us to address on a future episode as we are going to be doing listener questions fueled episodes at least quarterly. If you have a particular guest or topic you would like us to cover, definitely send that to us either on Instagram or you can find us on hello at wholeheartedeating.com. Just shoot us an email. We also have some really fun plans coming up that we are super excited for. So definitely stay tuned to hear about those. Jumping right into today's episode, I am interviewing Alyssa Chang, who specializes in neuroscience health coaching with a trauma-informed approach, which focuses on creating safety to provide an optimal healing space. We chat a lot about the nervous system and how our body responds to threats, also known as stress, with the fight flight, freeze, and fawn responses. Alyssa also dives deep into what happens physiologically in the body when our stress or threat bucket gets full and what we can do about it with some practical brain-based action steps. Alyssa, thank you so, so much for coming on. I was just telling you before we started recording. I'm really excited to nerd out about the nervous system today <laughs> because I love nerding out about the nervous system, as the listeners know. Um, but so where I want to start today is your story and how you got to where you are today. So really how you turned from a perfectionist, like fitness junkie, also can relate, we talked about this before too, to finding healing through working with your brain and neuroscience to heal your body. 
Yes. Um, okay. So I started off as an athlete, um, and in my specific sport, I played volleyball and I'm only five, four. So I had to overcompensate for the lack of height. And so I trained. Okay. Hold on. I'm also five, four and also played volleyball. So Did now you? we're twins. Oh my God. Yeah. And we love nerding out. This is perfect. <laughs> so it was funny. I was actually five, four when I was like 11 and they were like, oh my God, you're going to be like the middle blocker, you know, the outside hitter. And then I just stopped growing. So I had to switch to being a setter. <laughs> And, uh, which honestly it was like the, you too. Oh my God. Love it. So, <laughs> you know, I had to, I, I didn't have to, but I loved training for performance. And so I spent my, you know, afternoons training before after practice just to be better and better and better. Um, and then after I finished playing in college, I had this window of space where I was like, well, if I'm not training like an athlete or training for a sport, like, what do I do? And so I had this weird space of like, oh my gosh, like, who am I, right? This identity shift in crises. And so my, um, a coworker at the time was just like, Hey, have you heard of figure competitions? And I was like, I have no idea what that is. And I went home and I Googled it and it's all these, you know, very lean tanned, like very perceivably happy women standing on stage. And I was just like, yes, like, give me another challenge because I'm used to challenging and pushing my body. Like this makes sense. Um, and so I, I pursued it and, you know, it really fed into that perfectionist, like type a do things absolutely perfectly, like measure everything out. And, um, so I competed, I did, you know, a year of that. And then after I competed, I, you know, really experienced the, you know, metabolic rebounding, the, the damaging aspects of all of that chronic exercise and dieting, um, lost my menstrual cycle, experienced leaky gut syndrome, struggled with anxiety and depression, binge eating disorders and rapid waking. And so I was kind of in this body that I did not recognize. Um, I felt so deeply uncomfortable in, and I was carrying so much pain and I was really, really struggling with like, how do I get back to like a body that I trust that I can connect to that I feel safe with. And, you know, stubborn me, I just continued to diet. I continued to over-exercise. And then I was like, well, okay, this is literally not working. What is the other pathway? And I fortunately was in such a wonderful community that my, my mentor friend at the time was like, you should look into this certification where they talk a lot about the nervous system. And I was like, you know, at this point, I'm going to try anything. And so I went to the certification and I was sitting in the lecture and I was like, this almost sounds too good to be true. Like you learn about the brain, you can work with your body and things fall into place. And I was like, I don't, this, if this is, if this is the thing, like if this works, wow, like I will have such a specific niche in my work as well as I could actually heal my metabolism, heal my body. And so I started to do like all the vision therapy, the breathing and all the training around just like managing like my nervous system and learning how to like attune to what she was talking to me about and like leaning into like pain symptoms and as forms of information versus like disregarding pain and pushing through pain. So I developed such a dialogue with my brain and body that over time. I was like, wow, she's been trying to protect me this whole time. She's been trying to keep me safe and alive. And, you know, I feel a lot of grief for ignoring her. And, um, in this process of repairing my body, I really relearned who I was and then was in such a unis, like a very unifying relationship with my brain and body that allowed me to like 
really dismantled diet culture, really dismantled the beliefs around fitness culture and like attuned to like, you know, myself and my intuition. I love that. Um, I see myself a lot in that. <laughs> I'm like, did we just become best friends? <laughs> we did. But uh, we did. Um, I, okay, I want to go into a little bit more of your niche now, right? So like neuroscience, health coaching with a trauma-informed approach. If Can you describe a little bit more about what that means and specifically like the trauma-informed approach? Because I think there's there's a lot of information about there of like, I am a trauma coach versus like, I use a trauma informed approach, which is what I do in my practice as well. Yeah. So, okay. So neuroscience coaching, basically I've studied the brain since 2012 and it, you know, we look at all these different structures of the brain, what their unique responsibilities are and like how to basically provide my clients the most effective, efficient path to addressing which part of the brain really isn't working for them. Um, so I utilize this neuroscience lens over like a healing journey. So it's less about like sets and reps or like workouts. It's really about like, how can we make you feel super safe so you can get to your goal in a super sustainable way that makes sense for how unique you are, right? What trauma you carry, what, um, you know, your health history looks like, uh, trauma informed for me, what that means is that. I like to co-create spaces with my clients, right? Like I am here to guide them, um, but I'm not here to be super dogmatic about it. Like I want them to be involved in the process as much as possible to create a very non-judgmental space where, you know, they can share with me really unique things that they experience in their body and they can know that it's not going to be judged or dismissed or bypassed. It's really like, oh my God, that happened. Let's talk about it. So it's co-created space. It's like where choice is always an option for them. You know, if we're on a zoom call and I'm, and you know, I give them the option, do you want to share your video? Do you want to just do a voice call? It's like those nuances of like allowing someone to arrive in a healing space. That's super vulnerable, super brave, super messy at a place where they can feel that they're really fully honoring their own safety, their own selves and what capacity they have. Um, because I understand the brain, I understand the need for safety. I think that helps me you know, not only, um, kind of track what my clients might need, but then, you know, provide the reassurance that like, however they're showing up, whatever they need in this space, like I will do my very best to meet them in that. Um, I'm not perfect. So, you know, I also recognize that like, I'm open to feedback. Like, How can I better support you in this space? Um, one of the best, you know, when I think about trauma informed, it's like creating options and sometimes too many options are really overwhelming for my clients. So it's the dance of the nuance of being like, do you want just A and B? You know, so it's really trying to like, <laughs> like really deeply understand how their brain works and you know, understanding different trauma responses and then being able to support them in that response, I think what is what I identify as like trauma-informed. Yeah. Thank you for explaining that. So I want to lean into safety a little bit more because mm -hmm. when we, when it gets down, like when push comes to shove, like the science of safety is the nervous system, right? Is it's, do you feel safe? In which case rest and digest. Yay. If any part of your physical, mental, emotional, spiritual, social body is feeling some kind of threat, 
then we're in fight, flight, freeze, or fawn. And I think when you break it down that way, and you have a beautiful way of describing all of these that I definitely want to get into, when you describe it in that way, it's much easier for people to relate to than like, oh, I'm not stressed. Like my job's fine. Like my family's fine. Like, and then, you know, if we're doing that, and while on the other hand, People will hear when they when they feel there are, you know, physical uh, like whether we want to call them abnormalities or outside of, uh, you know, the optimal health or, you know, whatever it is, something's something's off in the body. Right. And then when it gets to the point where it feels uncomfortable enough that people will go see a practitioner, usually, you know, they're just a primary care or something. And then they get told something like more often than not, oh, it's all in your head. Or, oh, it's all just, you know, due to stress, which then feels like, oh, just get rid of the stress and you'll be fixed. Like, this drives me crazy, but I would love to hear your thoughts and unpack all of that. <laughs> yes. And um, I, it makes me think of a recent story. One of my students had messaged me and she was like, you know, I, I she's like, Alyssa, I'm kind of curious what your thoughts are in meditation. And I was like, yeah, like what's going on? And she's like, well, I went to my doctor, you know, and she's navigating like, you know, the laundry list of like fatigue, you know, really active GI, meaning super sensitive to a lot of foods, anxiety, right? All these things. The doctor said, I need to meditate. And she's like, but it's like unbearable. <laughs> and I was like, I was like, okay, tell me about that, you know? And uh, <laughs> she's like, you know, I've tried it before. And when I try to meditate, I just freak out. And I was like, okay let me talk to you about these trauma responses. And I said, if it is so deeply uncomfortable to be still in your body, because the only symptom that your brain is expressing is pain, discomfort, anxiety, forcing yourself to be still in your body is going to amplify all of that. So is this actually a de-stressing tool or is it just really reactivating all the parts of yourself that are so, so sensitive right now? And so I talked to her about like, uh, you know, if she related to kind of like that flight response of like busying her body, right. Kind of moving her energy versus like, oh my God, let me meditate and put on my headphones. And, you know, you're always distracted and it's really hard because you will walk away feeling like there's something wrong with you, right? Like, oh, I, I'm not good at meditation. I could never do that. When really it's like, huh, that's just not a strategy that suits you right now. And what we want to do is identify like if we are aiming for de-stressing your nervous system and we're actively wanting you to feel safe, maybe safety looks like walking in the woods, right? Walking on the beach instead of sitting and trying to like be with the sensations. So um, when it comes to safety, it's so unique for each of us, given like our past, the trauma that we carry and how our brain has learned to actively self-soothe and seek out safety. And so there's like subtle nuances of like, yeah, I would love my clients to be able to sit and Zen out. And I recognize that that's a progression. And I also recognize that that may not be the thing for them, not right now. So there's all those like different ways that we can help someone seek safety that actually makes sense for where they're at in their healing. And that is what we would call trauma-informed care. <laughs> Because I want to go back to what you said about meditation. You know, it's like commonly people who are very like go, 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 type A perfectionistic tend to be drawn towards like CrossFit, high intensity interval training, you know, Peloton, that kind of stuff, really have a lot of trouble with yoga or like restorative yoga, like not power yoga, right? Or like meditation or anything like that. And part of that, you know, depending on their story and where they're coming from is 
Maybe they've never been taught to sit with their emotions. So all we know how to do is to distract or to numb out or, you know, anything that's going to help you not feel those emotions is going to feel way safer than actually feeling them, right? And that can feel, if you realize that, can feel very conflicted because it's like, okay, well, now I have this knowledge, but um, I still don't know how to process things and I still don't feel good when I'm meditating. (laughs) Totally. And that's like, I think one, like not disclosed enough is like this aspect of like healing is so confrontational because the more that you learn about your survival strategies, the more that you learned how you've had to survive yet, those are the exact things you're trying to change. It's like, Oh my God, like that's, that's work, you know, and that's brave work. And so I think it's like, we can recognize and honor that there's this work that needs to be done and we can tread it at a pace that like doesn't overwhelm you, you know, that actually can work. That is more effective, you know, versus like keep hitting the same nail on the head. That's just like not working for you. You know, how many times have many of it? I mean, I'm one of them. I used to try meditation over and over and over again. And I'm like, I'm just, what is going on? Like, why am I not good at this? And I realized I was like, I have yet to get clarity and, and calmness in my nervous system, even when I'm moving my body. So to force me to sit still is again, that amplifying of like all those symptoms that felt overwhelming. I felt my nervous system getting flooded. Which never feels good. It's like, this feels counterintuitive. I thought I was supposed to be feeling better. And it's like, when are all of the, you know, thoughts in my head going to slow down? Like maybe never. (laughs) And the hard part too, right. Is like, we question ourselves, right. We take the judgment upon us versus being like, "Hmm, that didn't work for me. I'm going to try something else. And that's like, again, a normal human thing that we do. It's just unfortunate that like, that's our natural default, you know? Yeah. Can you talk a little bit more about what you call the threat bucket? Yes. Um, I love the threat bucket because I think it, it's like one of the best introductory ways to better understand the nervous system. So, um, every day we basically, if you can picture yourself starting with like an empty bucket and we'll call it this, it's a threat bucket and threat is the neurological word for stress. So you wake up in the morning, you have your own bucket and throughout the day, the bucket fills with different threats. And it's all again, very unique because what you may register as a threat may not be a registered threat for me. So it helps us understand, right? Like how unique we are. We're so unique. So let's say for instance, you wake up and then you had a rough night's sleep. So you're already waking up feeling like less recovered. So you want to think about your bucket gets filled with like something heavy. You could throw rocks, you could throw sand, you could throw water. And then throughout the day, maybe there's like traffic. So you're running late to work. You're already in kind of like a stressed state. You throw more water into this bucket You had a difficult conversation with a friend that gets thrown into the bucket. So, you know, again, over the day, you're just accruing more and more threats. If at the end of the day, your bucket is super full, imagine that there's a little spigot at the part of um, maybe the right-hand side of your bucket. When our threat bucket overflows, the loudest output the brain will have is pain. And so if we don't have these, you know, therapeutic tools that decrease our threat bucket, that could be like, I'm going to take a break from being on my phone. I'm going to phone a friend. I'm going to like take some breaths and we keep filling up our bucket. Well, our, our brain will signal pain because it is the loudest, most attention grabbing signal. Um, and pain is also very personal. So my pain symptoms could be, oh, it starts in my lower back. And then all of a sudden I'm feeling it in my chest. And then I get anxious. Some people might be like, they start feeling tightness in their stomach, then they get a migraine. So we want to honor that again, not only is threat very unique to each of us, so is pain. 
So when we understand that pain maybe doesn't live in the actual site of the symptom, but it may be because we're carrying a very heavy threat bucket because we didn't sleep well, we missed breakfast, we were stuck in traffic, we had a difficult conversation. It provides us so many more options to be able to be like, okay, well, what if I jump on the phone and I like have a really open, honest conversation with someone, does my pain go away? You know, if I take a few breaths or I eat a snack, does my pain go away? So what's wonderful about the nervous system is that it provides you a bunch of bunch of different dials to turn and tweak so that you never really feel like you're like in the corner with no options. It provides you a lot of options in a lot of different pathways so that you never really feel that stuck. Yeah, I love that. Okay, so I want to go into those different pathways now, right? The four mm-hmm. different main trauma responses by the brain. Um, and it's really interesting because most of the time when I'm talking about these for a nutrition or like physiological perspective, let's say, I commonly talk about how like the physical body responds with hormones and blood sugar and everything like that. But I love how you talk about fight, flight, freeze, and fawn about how people can relate to them, right? So like how being like a busy bee when you're stressed, like you said before, can relate to like the flight response. So can you talk more about those? Yeah, definitely. And it's so funny because I'm always seeing like more well-versed than the ones that I like really relate to. I'm like, oh yeah, those flight responders. Um, Oh yeah. So (laughs) the fight response is like, we really, um, we protect ourselves through like reactivity. So maybe we're like, you know, the hotheads, the like, you know, we're more angry, reactive. We're like leaning really into the this defense mechanism. We also seek control as a means to like feel safety. Um, so my, my fighters typically like a lot of predictability. Um, so it's like having a structure to their plan, having a schedule, um, in general, like the nervous system craves predictability. So it makes sense for most trauma responses. The fighters are definitely the ones that like, tell me where we're going. Like, what is the plan? What do I need to bring? Um, and then the flight responders are definitely the ones that self-soothe through moving their energy with, you know, moving their stress energy. So this could be like, you know, the exercisers, maybe the over-exercisers, um, the people that like, you know, are like cleaning their inbox at 10 PM and they know they should be in bed, but they're feeling anxious. You know, they're feeling overwhelmed. Um, the busy bees, the people that tend to overpack their schedules, Um, and then there's the freeze, which is when you're disassociating, you're disconnecting, um, when you're registering a lot of threat. So, you know, they go off onto the spaceship when maybe their nervous system is getting flooded with a lot of uncomfortable emotions, maybe emotions that they can't really name yet or sit with. Um, so disconnecting, numbing out the really interesting thing with freeze response is that it's actually a very, very stimulating, highly active state. But on the surface, they're like sitting on the couch, right? And they're just like numbed out. But internally, their body is just like, like really like pinging them with a lot of stress, pinging them with a lot of different heightened emotions. So that balance is like what leads them to, leads many of them to feel like always really chronically tired, even though right on the surface, they're like calm in quotations. Um, and then the fawn response are the ones that have learned to like seek safety by accommodating everyone else. They're the people pleasers, the peacekeepers, they self-abandon. 
Um, the interesting thing with the fawn responders is that they typically lack intuition. So they don't trust themselves when you're asking them, how do you feel? They're like, Oh, I don't know. They're not accustomed to checking in with themselves because there's so much more in practice of checking in with others, tracking others, emotions, taking maybe responsibility of others, emotions. So this not only has been a practice for them, but then from a nervous system perspective, the part of the brain that's responsible for housing self-awareness and intuition then stops getting as much activation. So they're the ones that are like intuitive eating. What does that even mean? Right? Like, how do I attune to my needs? What are boundaries? And for them, it's like this intentional practice of like interrupting the reflex to lean in and help and to pause and be like, what do I need? Do I have capacity? How am I really feeling? And even if they can't answer those questions, it's the pause that they want to get in practice of that helps them like interrupt again, that reflex to be like, let me help, let me help, let me help. And be like, Ooh, do I have the space to help? <laughs> yeah. Isn't that the question, right? Do I have the space to help? <laughs> totally. For so many people, that is their, like you said, their reflex trauma response. Like, oh, this is my brain has known from years and years of having these different responses. We know the one, whether it's like situational, oh, I tend to go to flight, right? Or if I'm really overwhelmed with work, I tend to go this way or, you know, it can go different ways. But the way that I like to describe this as well, when we're trying to one, identify these patterns and then also figure out different ways of where we can, you know, circumvent them or, you know, go around or anything like that is we have to have an understanding and give ourselves a little bit of compassion that if we've been in these patterns for so long, it's kind of like taking a hike like through really tall grass or in the forest or anything. If you've gone the same path over and over and over again, that's going to be the path of least resistance. So of course your brain, that reflex is going to be immediately that way. Learning to go another way, like we were talking about before, even if we know it's going to be more beneficial for our overall health and response in the long term, it's work. It's really hard in the short term. And we see this a lot when we're trying to unlearn diet and fitness culture and trying to relearn our relationship with food and become more, you know, neutral about exercise and food. And people tell me all the time, like, you know, sometimes I think about how it would be, you know, easier to just go back to dieting because there's a whole, you know, set of rules and there's a, you know, proposed guaranteed outcome, even though I know that not to be true. And I'm like, well, yeah, of course it's easier because this is new and this is hard and it's harder to unlearn the patterns that you have been in when your brain has viewed those as this is the path to safety for so long. Totally. And I love that you brought this up because behavior change and consciously rewiring the nervous system is calorically expensive, right? So if we are under eating and if we are highly stressed and if we have poor breathing mechanics, it's going to make it's so much harder. <laughs> so, you know, how do we create this, this new, you know, interruption in our hardwiring in a way where we're not then further depleting ourselves. And that's where like, for, for my work, it's like, okay, let me look at your breathing. Let me make sure that your brain is at least getting enough oxygen to then be able to see these options. Cause sometimes when we're so habituated and we're on autopilot, right. It's because we are navigating either survival mode. We've feel like we're really stressed and it's like, okay, I'm going to keep doing the flight response. I'm going to keep busying myself. But what if, right. We start to like de-stress the nervous system, provide your brain with enough food, enough oxygen that then all of a sudden you're like, Oh, instead of like emptying my inbox at 10 PM, 
oh, I actually see the door to closing my laptop and winding down for bed. But sometimes when we're so stressed, it's like we can't see it. And that makes so much sense. But, you know, we, I just want to hone in that like choosing to change, it requires energy. And if we're coming from a place of depletion, right, we have to be super patient that like, maybe we need to address just the fatigue, right? What, what can we add to your bucket? That's actually like providing you a sense of like satisfaction, gratitude, happiness, relaxation in an authentic way. Not necessarily like I'm going to rest today. And then inside your brain, you're like, oh my God, I feel guilty for resting. Right. Like in all of that narrative that then hijacks the brain. So it's like rest is also such a fascinating concept when it comes to the world we live in fitness culture, diet culture, right. You only get one day off maybe, you know, so yeah. And even with like productivity culture and everything like that, I know you've talked about that on your Instagram before too. <laughs> totally. Oh, all the reinforcement. And it's just like, oh, I wish, I wish it wasn't so hard to, to feel deserving of rest, you know, to actually prioritize it in a way that this is just a way of life. I don't have to earn it. I don't have to like save up days to take a day off. You know, it's just so opposite of like what we're actually designed to do, which is like play, move our body, enjoy life and rest, you know, <laughs> imagine. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh man. Okay. So I do want to go back to the different nervous system responses a little bit, because, um, I think one thing that will give this, my co-host Christina talks about this a lot of the time as like a permission slip, right. Or like compassion and invitation to think about this in a different way. Right. You talk about on your website, you have this one line where you talked about how every self-soothing behavior that you have created has served as a survival tool, right? And so it's like every, you know, even if we are engaging in things that are not necessarily favorable for us in the long term, everything is a survival tool. Even if it's not great in the short term, it's just your body is ultimately trying to take care of you. So can you give some examples of like these different survival tools and stuff and like how we use them as survival tools? Yeah. I mean, honestly, like, you know, anxiety, it's like anxiety. When we feel anxious, we are probably navigating some element of overwhelm, right? Maybe our brain isn't integrating our environment through sound, sight, you know, um, energy in an appropriate way. So we feel anxious. And when we feel anxious, we're like, well, I'm not going to get outside of my house. <laughs> right? Like I'm going to stay right here on the couch and like in an environment that makes me feel safe. So oftentimes people are like, I hate my anxiety. I'm so upset at it. Da, 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 da. And granted, like you and I have talked about like, well, there's like this science part of it where it's linked to the gut, the gut goes to the brain. And there's also this like highly intuitive response by the brain to be like, well, if I keep you inside, like we're safe here. And so it's a, again, another opportunity for us to really lean into a conversation with our brain and body of being like, Oh, what, what about this environment makes me feel safe? Or why am I feeling unsafe? You know, to further engage in this conversation. Um, I think what's interesting too, is like, you know, when we talk about like these, these trauma responses, it's like the, the, the reflexive response to disassociate, right? Like, I wish I could connect to my body. Well, maybe body connection isn't safe for you, right? Because when you connect, you're then emotionally flooded. You're then experiencing a ton of pain in your body. And I work with a lot of clients who have like, you know, a lot of pain, sometimes chronic pain that disassociating is like, 
a viable option. Like, I'm like, do you need to disassociate and like, and like literally watch something funny on TV as a toolkit in your toolbox like that? I was just talking to my clients about distraction. I'm like, Hey, after today's call, I actually want you to intentionally distract because we've had a really intense conversation. I don't need you to always be in your healing journey. I actually need you to like intentionally check out (laughs) because when we check out, right, actually that's where a lot of integration happens. The brain can actually do the, you know, the integrative work of like, Ooh, okay. Like Alyssa's changing. Alyssa's taking breaks. I can now like utilize the tools and information we've gathered in an appropriate way. So rest recovery, disconnection, all really helpful tools when we're inside a healing process, where we're constantly being confronted, when we're talking about trauma, when we're trying to plastic, you know, change the brain and the plasticity. Mm-hmm. I think it's really important to bring that up that dis- distraction and disconnection and numbing or whatever we want to call it can be really helpful tools as well, right? Because I talk about with a lot of my clients of, you know, just illuminating that there are two main categories, like there's processing and then there's like distraction or disconnection and numbing, right? But at the same time, acknowledging like, okay, the classic processing tool would be talk therapy or some other kind of therapy. We couldn't possibly do therapy all day, every day. You would never like, (laughs) you know, you would never recover because it's like, you know, to use an example with exercise, it's like if you're doing like 20 seconds on, 10 seconds off, that 10 seconds off of rest is there for a reason, right? You do need time to rest and recuperate or distract or disconnect or whatever it is because it can be like putting a pause on something. Now, if that's the only tool that we have, that's something we got to talk about, right? But I know you're not saying that, but this is just a reminder for everybody out there. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I like to think about like, you know, if you think about your most fulfilling like relationships, right? Like how would you describe how dynamic it is? It's like, well, you know, like maybe it's like 75% of the time you're like laughing and you're having fun and you're like, doing like hobbies. And then the other 25%, yeah, they're like holding space and it's deep and you're like talking about hard stuff, but there's like that balance. And I think that, um, you know, when people think about embarking on a health healing journey, it's like, I don't have time to sit with my feelings all the time. Or that seems super overwhelming because maybe the expectation is, is that I have to be inside of it all the time. And I'm like, Oh no, like I don't even want that. (laughs) Like I want you to disconnect and like live your life while healing, you know, and that can be done. It's just sometimes again, with diet and fitness culture, it's like, Nope, you got to commit 110%. You have to be perfect. You have to always show up. And I'm like, show up however you need to show up. We'll figure it out as we go along because you're proactively changing. And the more that we can authentically honor how you're showing up, the more I can better serve you. Yeah. Okay. So I do want to lean in a little bit more to exercise because something that you posted, I think it was like a couple months ago, but I like to do a lot of research before I go on podcasts with people. So you talked about how, um, Exercise is the only is only therapy for those who can move both in and out of sympathetic or stress and parasympathetic rest states. I think this is so important for people, especially when, again, we're going back to previous us, like past me would be so proud. You know, if like, if you are a person who really tends to use exercise, especially like higher intensity exercise as a way of processing, and you feel like that's the only way that you can get stress out of your body, 
Let's talk about it. Let's chat. <laughs> this is for you. Um, yeah. I mean, I, I mean, I had personal experience with this. I was like, Oh, okay. Like my only outlet was high intense exercise. And that allowed me right to get the endorphin release. I felt connected to my body. I felt better. And then when my metabolism was shot and I was like struggling with my adrenals and all these things, I started to feel absolutely terrible after exercise. And I remember very specifically, there was this moment I was doing hamstring curls and I broke down because I was like, I feel terrible while exercising. And like, I was so scared because I was like, if this is my only strategy to feel connected to my body, to feel better, I have no other outlet. And that was so scary. And, you know, as I started to learn like less is more right efficiency and, and, and specificity is so important. It helped me really understand that, like, if I'm arriving to a workout with a heavy threat bucket, and then I'm like, I'm going to do hit training, Olympic lifting, you know, all the things on top of it. I can almost guarantee that the next day I'm probably going to feel like I got hit by a bus. I'm going to feel more emotionally unstable. I'm going to probably gain weight. I'm going to, you know, be more sensitive to food. I would start to notice a pattern that every time I was overly stressed and I was stacking exercise on top of it, I could almost guarantee that all of my symptoms that I was trying to heal through exercise would just get so much louder. <laughs> and it took time for me to like really data collect and like solidify that this is a pattern, but I have seen it time and time again with a lot of my students. It's like, you know, again, there's no fault to us because fitness culture is like always reinforcing more is better that to flip that paradigm upside down and be like, actually rest and recovery and stress management is at the top. Like that is your priority. Because if you arrive to a workout with a very like connected body, you feel like you're emotionally regulated. You don't feel fragile. You're not like on your period as well. Right. It's like, Oh my God, like exercise is fun. I love moving my body. I feel motivated. Right. It's actually like a very, it's a very, it is very therapeutic. And that's why, you know, I, I mentioned that it can only be therapeutic, right. If we're in that balance and like that very balanced system. Yeah. So um, let's move into some practical tips and strategies. So say someone, one of our clients is in a very high stress or threat bucket season of their life, right? And they don't want to stop doing exercise completely because it is, let's say it is their main coping strategy. Um, what are a couple of the things that you would suggest to either evaluate like what can we do, you know, besides this or give some suggestions as to like, maybe let's try this or maybe let's try this. Always in the mindset of curiosity, not judgment. <laughs> yes. Oh, I love that you mentioned that. Um, I, I heard myself say this a lot this week. I was like, this is a giant experiment, right? And when you collect data, there's not necessarily a right or wrong. It's just data and information that allows us to, you know, put out that next stepping stone of this is where we're going to go next. Um, so, you know, when it comes to someone that has, you know, that maybe more of a dependency on exercise and we're recognizing, Ooh, this is not ideal. You know, I always like I, my, my default is always like, well, how do you feel when you walk? And, you know, I think what I work against is I, I was in the same mind frame. I was like walking, like, what is that supposed to do? Right. I'd rather just run, you know, and like <laughs> running would put me in, in sympathetic. So when I started to just engage in like walking, and being and tracking myself and being attuned, I was like, oh my God, I feel so much better. And walking is one of the most 
like effective parasympathetic exercises or drills you can do because it's, it decompresses you. It's so autonomous, right? We're in this like flow with our body. So, you know, I always recommend walking. And if walking even puts you in, like you start noticing your heart rate gets dysregulated, you start to experience pain, right? That makes us scale back more. And so I typically start with a lot of breathing assessments. So I look at like how my clients are breathing at rest. Um, are they mouth breathing at night? That's already putting them in a hyperventilation state and then they're over breathing and then they're in survival mode, right? Like it's like all these things that if we recognize that we're taking like 20,000 breaths a day, it's 20,000 opportunities to actually provide ourselves like the, the benefit of decompression. However, many of us are ineffective breathers just based off of stress, pace of life, computer blue light, um, that really helping my clients understand the impact of breathing and the efficiency of regulating breath that can have like a profound impact on so many different things. Like they start to just feel better. Right. And that could be like, I wake up and I like, don't have brain fog. I wake up and I'm, I'm slightly more optimistic. Right. Um, so I usually go with like walking, let's assess breathing. Let me give you breathing strategies and drills, pay attention to how you're breathing. And then from there, I start to see things definitely fall into place. And then exercise now becomes more of an option. Oh, I love that. It all comes back to the breath people. <laughs> It really does. <laughs> it really does. Oh my gosh. This was so awesome. I feel like we could talk about this for hours. I will probably invite you to come back so we can go even deeper into this stuff. I feel like this is very like scratching the surface of all of it, but I find this stuff so interesting. And I love the way that you can take these, what could be really complex and like obviously like neurological, like deep into the nerdy science topics, but presenting it in a very digestible and very relatable way. So thank you for that. Oh, thank you. <laughs> <laughs> um, two things. If people want to find, if, when people want to find you and all of your things, I know you have different courses and group coaching options. And of course there's your Instagram and everything. Um, tell them where they can find you. And then also if there are any like other podcasts or books or additional resources that you love that you would love to direct people to as well if they want to learn more about this. Yeah. So my website is www.coachalissachang.com. And on my website, there's options of like how you can work with me. I have predominantly three, actually I should say four, four ways. Um, my signature program is better expert. That's like a six month intensive. Let's go to school for your body and learn all about the brain. Um, I have expedition, which is a much smaller lead in, um, it's like neuroscience 101. We're talking about like the base fundamentals so that as you're moving away from fitness diet culture and entertaining, right. This idea of like working with the brain to heal the body, it gives you all those fundamentals. We talk about breathing. We talk about vision. I also have a small membership option as well, where, um, I'm in there with a coaching call once a month. I'm in there posting about the brain. It is a nervous system healing space. So everything we're talking about is from the lens of neuroscience. Um, I do have one-on-one -on -one coaching options. Um, I have some space left. Um, and it's not something I, I really talk about too often. It's kind of like a referral based, um, option for people. My Instagram is coach Alyssa Chang and books. I think, I think the best thing is, you know, where I got certified is through Z health performance, which, I mean, I am so grateful for them and in, in bringing this education to the, those of us that have gone through it, it has really, really helped me become such, so much more of a, uh, I would say 
a compassionate coach uh, from the standpoint of when you understand the structure of the brain, it is so compassionate. It is always working for and with you that it has helped me empathize more. It has helped me provide science in a relatable way that helps people feel more hopeful in their journey. Oh, yay. I love that. Well, thank you again so much for coming on. I can't wait till people can hear this episode. (laughs) Thank you so much for having me. Hey, everyone. Thanks so much for tuning into the Wholehearted Eating Podcast today. If you want more from me, Dana, Christina, or both of us together, be sure to follow our podcast on Apple, Spotify, wherever the heck you follow it, wherever you listen to podcasts, we can be found there. Then make sure to follow us on Instagram at Wholehearted Eating Podcast. Um, You can also find me on Instagram at Dana Monsies underscore CNS. Christina can be found at Christina Hoyt Nutrition. You can always find all of our stuff about, you know, more blog posts if you're interested in learning more about working together. All of that can be found on wholeheartedeating.com. If you have any questions that you want to send in, if you have any particular, you know, guests or topics that you want us to talk about on the podcast in your future, shoot us an email at hello at wholeheartedeating.com. We're super excited to be back for the fall. And like I mentioned at the beginning of the episode. We have a lot of exciting things coming your way. So be sure to subscribe so you don't miss an episode and we will see you next week.